the third window from the right two flights up by the third window from the right the third Hello and welcome to episode four of the Third Window Films podcast. My name is Ben and with me is... Adam from Third Window Films. (laughs) Yeah, and on on this show we basically celebrate Third Window Films from the perspective of the fan being me and the man being Adam himself. (laughs) Bonjour. Bonjour indeed. Now, not only is this the first episode of 2022 for us but it's also a first, and it's our very first episode with a special guest. Um, So yes, without further ado, I will introduce uh, our guest today. He is the co-founder of the online Japanese cinema oracle that is Midnight Eye, alongside Jasper Sharp, where he basically has conducted countless interviews with some of the greatest auteurs out of Japan, Uh, everyone from uh, Kiyoshi Kurosawa to Soga Ishii, Satoshi Kon, uh, Miyazaki, Kinji Fukasaku, just to name but a few. Uh, he is the author of the critically praised books Iron Man, The Cinema of Shinya Tsukamoto, and Agitator, The Cinema of Takashi Miike, amongst others. Um, and yeah, he's also provided liner notes and audio commentaries for numerous Blu-ray and DVD releases um, all over the world, including many Third Window Films releases himself. So yeah, we are thrilled to welcome to the show uh, Mr. Tom Mez. Hello, thank, sir. Thank you. Bonjour from me too. I'm doing all right. It's a pleasure to be on the show. Thank you for asking. Oh, fantastic. Well, yeah, the pleasure's all ours. I was so happy when Adam said, uh, I've got an idea for, for the Hiroko the Goblin episode. And yeah, this is this is just wonderful. And then and then he mentioned me and you were disappointed I was not Tsukamoto. <laughs> not at all. I mean, I'm, I'll be honest with you. I have this month. So for what I like to do when we, we do one of these episodes is I'll go kind of on a deep dive through the director's filmography just to kind of, you know, get myself back up to speed with them. Um, and where I have been able to, I've been rewatching the films and then rewatching them again with your commentary. So over the last, say, week and a half, I've listened to probably around eight or nine hours of your voice <laughs> going through the films. Poor you, poor you. <laughs> Please forgive me. But yeah, without... Um, without trying to blow too much smoke up your ass, I've found them so enlightening and interesting. And I love how you come from it, uh, obviously with a lot of research and knowledge, but also you can tell you're just a, a massive fan. And yeah, I, that's where I come to this all from. So yeah, it really is an honor. Thank you. Anyway. Yes. Well, that's, that, how, that's, the... that's how it started for me too, just as a fan. That's how I started writing about Japanese films because I enjoyed watching them. Yeah, amazing. Well, in fact, that's where we really wanted to start, really, is if you wanted to kind of like introduce yourself to our audience and, and yeah, how this all came about for you. Because I know, as I said, you started that website way back when with Jasper. Um, and yeah, to where you've got now. Yes. So, yeah, we started the website 22 years ago. <laughs> wow. Almost, almost exactly 22 years ago, because I first had the idea after the the year 2000 edition of the Rotterdam Film Festival. I'm a Rotterdam native, so I grew up with that festival. And during the 1990s, when I was in high school and, as, and, uh, and a student, um, they showed so many Japanese films. Um, so I got to basically, in real time, discover people like Tsukamoto, people like Takeshi Kitano, people like Shinji Aoyama, Kiyoshi Kurosawa, you name them. 
And um, I had been interested and knew a little bit about Japanese cinema before that. That was mostly like Kurosawa, Akira Kurosawa, that I would see on TV. Um, like Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, the more accessible, sort of like the, the, what everybody knows to be Japanese film. I knew that and I liked it. But then through the Rotterdam Film Festival, I really discovered like contemporary Japanese cinema. And that really impressed me so much that after a few years, um, I really felt like I'd already started writing about film. I'd been working on a different website with some friends on which I was writing about film. I'd started doing some magazine writing. And then really the, that, that particular edition of the Rotterdam Film Festival 2000, really everything sort of coalesced. And, and that's largely because they had this special program about Japanese film now, so to speak. And it was because right. it was the 400th anniversary of uh, relations between the Netherlands and Japan. And so for that, for that reason, they created this huge program that included the world's first Kinji Fukasaku retrospective. And that included three films by Takashi Miike, including Audition. <laughs> and much of the Miike legend sort of started at that edition of the festival. So being there, I was so bowled over that almost immediately after I come, I, I thought I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to specialize in writing about Japanese film. Going to drop basically Amazing. drop drop everything else and start a website on Japanese film, and yeah. and around that time I happened to get a message from a certain Englishman named Jasper Sharp, who who had seen the previous website I'd worked on, and had come up with some ideas that he wanted to contribute to that website. But we had basically that website had just bled to death. Basically, everybody was doing something else and. And one of the ideas that Jasper mentioned was Japanese cinema. And so I replied and said, well, I just happen to have this idea of starting a Japanese film website. Do you want to join in? And that's how it all began. And that was early 2000s. Literally ar around this time of the year, late January, early February. Well, I mean, that is kind of crazy in my timeline because I fell in love with Japanese cinema in the year 2000. Um, I just moved school, so I was 16 years old, um, showing my age a little bit, but like um, I just started doing A-levels, and I, uh, there was a, an A-level in film studies, uh, and my teacher was obsessed with Takeshi Kitano. So when you said Merry Christmas, Mr. Lawrence, I smiled because, yes, I, I know that film very well. Um, so the year that I was introduced to Takeshi Kitano um, was also the year that Battle Royale came out at the cinema, and from there it just you know snowballed um so yeah interesting to see where we were both at that time i mean what about you adam where did you first come across tom i mean obviously i was a fan of midnight eye because it was probably around the same time that i was really getting into uh japanese cinema and at a time when there wasn't really much else being written on the internet for especially more minor titles so midnight Eye was really like like the best uh, encyclopedia for finding out about new and underground titles. Um, so it was probably it was probably when Midnight I was starting off uh, around that time because I started Third Window Films uh, 16 years ago, and before that was Tartan Films. So Tartan Films was also releasing films like uh, that a lot of the, the stuff that Midnight I was writing about. So uh, and I obviously being in London as well at the time was uh, became friends with Jasper, but I think Tom must have been maybe 
Nippon, probably imagine Nippon Connection of, of all places uh, would be the place that we actually met or, or uh, I probably yes, Nippon Connection more than anything else. I think I went there maybe around 2006 or something like that, or maybe five, uh, maybe a bit earlier. I don't remember for sure, but uh, maybe that was, a, that was when, we, when Tom and I met. Yes, I think that's the case. Yes, it must have been around that time at Nippon Connection. Nippon Amazing. Connection, because Nippon Connection really has a, 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 a spot in this story that we're right now telling, because essentially we were all hooked on the same films around the same time. And me a little bit earlier, because I'm judging from what you just said, I'm about 10 years, <laughs> 10 years older. And the Nippon Connection people are are same age as me. And they also grew up watching Japanese films at film festivals throughout the 1990s. And that coalesced in starting Nippon Connection. And that really was around more or less exactly the same time as, as Midnight Eye. Incredible. I mean, it's still one of the most important festivals going today, isn't it, for, for Japanese cinema globally? Absolutely, yes. Not just not just for films, but also the way that it brings people together more than most other festivals. I think a lot of film festivals out there can be a little closed. Uh, you know, they separate the um, the, maybe the directors and the, and the cast and and the festival people from the audience. But I think Nippon Connection more than most others sort of brings everyone together in a very uh, sort of community based uh, aspect. So I think you do really. It's it's quite different than other film festivals, and I think it's also helped a lot of people really get into Japanese cinema because of the feelings and the atmosphere of that festival. So it's, it's a, it's really, I recommend it. Uh, and I'm sure Tom does too, for anybody who wants to go learn or watch Japanese cinema, just to go to Germany. I mean, you know, it's not so expensive nowadays with Ryanair and all that. I mean, obviously it's <laughs> Corona, but uh, you know, it's, it's a great festival to go to. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's on my to-do list. Like I said, I, I went to the last one uh, digitally, which just wasn't the same, but still, you know, you take what you can get. <laughs> Um, well, obviously, Tom, we've got you on today uh, primarily because we're covering Sukumoto and you're, you know, one of the, you know, top minds on on the subject, so to speak. Um, I know from listening to your commentary on uh, A Snake of June recently um, that the book, the how it came about, kind of has a pretty cool story um, because you'd already written Agitator right previously. Um, I thought it might be a yes. good place to start. Maybe if you just explain how how you met Sukumoto and uh, and, and how the book came about. Yeah, yeah. So I had written the, the book on on Takashi Miike, Agitator, and basically during the writing of that, I got a chance to meet Sukumoto at the Brussels International Fantastic Film Festival, where a good, very good friend of mine, Luc van Houten. Um, who has been uh, an interpreter for Japanese filmmakers at many film festivals. He was there interpreting as well, and that year Tsukamoto was on the jury. Together with um, Robert England and Christopher Lee. Oh, wow. And, Mike, and Takashi Miike was um, also a guest at the festival, I think with Ichi the Killer, if I remember correctly. So... I was in Rotterdam at the time, so you know I just hopped on the train to Brussels to speak to Mike about about the book, and um, then the people there, including Luke, introduced me to Tsukamoto during that festival. And then I asked Tsukamoto if he wanted to write uh, like the foreword or the afterwords for the book, which he did because, of course, they've they've worked together. Tsukamoto has appeared in Mike's films as an actor and. 
and they know each other socially and um, um, so that's sort of how that came about and then when the book was done and had come out I had shown it to Tsukamoto and he thought he was he thought it was really really nice uh, basically the, I didn't know who mentioned it first him or me but it's like okay the next one is about is about you or the next one is about <laughs> about me if it was I don't remember exactly who brought it up and um, so it just started from there, really. Just the, the book had come out and, and come out really nice. And then we sort of said, okay, let's do the, ne do the next one on Tsukamoto. And, Which um, is so cool because he, yeah. he basically gave you full access, didn't he? From then on, you, you were on his sets. He did countless interviews and things like that. So you, you really did have full access. Yeah, well, that's, that's the wonderful thing. For firstly, about working with Japanese filmmakers, they tend to be very accessible, and they tend to be very happy that you're that you're interested and that you like their work and that you so show some knowledge of their work, um, that you're curious about them as people. Mm -hmm. But Skamoto, even even in that situation, Skamoto is exceptionally nice. I think Adam will agree that he's like one of the nicest people who ever lived, basically. I think he's one of the nicest people so. walking this planet. Wow. Him, wow. Him, him and Stefan Hall of Rapid Eye movies, probably. <laughs> yes, you're, you're right with that. Yeah. And so Skamoto was, um, it was not just full access, it was like full support. You know, any, any question I had and anything I needed, he would, he would provide. And so it was. Uh, it was really a great pleasure to to work on. And as you said, uh, I interviewed him at length. I think I had about fourteen hours of interview material with him, and then many hours more interview material with people that he worked with, like you know the late Chu Ishikawa, his his composer, and uh, the Tetsu actor Tomoro Taguchi, and uh, a lot of a lot of other people, uh, well known and less well known. So behind the scenes people as well, like his assistant director, Shinichi Kawahara, who's worked with him since Tetsuo 2. Uh, no, actually before that, since Hiroko. So that's, that guy was, you know, invaluable source. So yeah, it was amazing, the access that I had for that book. Amazing. Do you still have a, a relationship with him now? I mean, do you still work with him at all or, or, in, or stay in touch? Yes, we stay in touch. I mean, his birthday is on the 1st of January. So every year I send him a combined Happy New Year and Happy Birthday greeting. And then it sort of starts again from there. And uh, I do have fairly advanced plans of doing another project on him. And so I mentioned that uh, this, past first <laughs> this past New Year's Day. And uh, well, we'll see how it goes. Probably this year something will materialize. Oh, that's very exciting! Because I know you did a uh, you, you did Reagitator, which was a decade of writing on Takashi Miike. Yes. Um, so I suppose it, it, it's something similar to that, maybe. No, not quite. Okay. <laughs> well, I won't push you any further. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Well, it's interesting what you say though about um, him being such a nice guy and giving you so much access because you had an interest in him and what he did. Because again, that's basically my relationship with Adam because. You know, I've I've reached out and spoken to, or tried to speak to, you know, Arrow Films, uh, Eureka, Second Sight, um, all these people, and never heard a single word back. 
Um, but Adam always took the time to to respond to any kind of questions or praise I had. And yeah, I just feel the same way. I think Adam is so generous with his time with with the fans because if you appreciate what he does, he's happy to hear from it, right? Basically. Uh, well, I think the comparison... Don't, don't compare me to Tsukamoto. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sorry, I've done it. The comparison is actually, it's, uh, it's uh, I think, a valid one because both Adam and Tsukamoto are basically one-man bands, essentially, who are driven largely by by passion and have been for many many years so i think that's probably uh, says something about the kind of people they are and then of course adam being quite close to a lot of uh, people in the japanese film world particularly the the sort of film world that is not that is not considered to be the mainstream in japan uh, i think probably some of that um attitude of of uh, sharing and welcoming has rubbed off on him as it, hopefully it has rubbed off on rubbed off on me i think that's a very fair comment <laughs> adam's going red in the corner i love it yes uh, i i'm thank you for the nice words but uh, yes I, I i honestly think that Tsukamoto is not just one of the nicest people one of the most humble people i mean obviously the humility and the niceness come sim come come together but you would never imagine that he is this person who has directed films that have played at all the major film festivals, who have appeared in Martin Scorsese films. And uh, I mean, it's it's a, really as much as we were to say he's so nice and he's so hum- humble, it, it still can't compare how, how amazing he actually is and how humble he actually is. But uh, there's no one like him that I've ever met. I mean, like, except like Tom says, like somebody like Stefan Hall. So uh and Stefan loves uh, loves uh, also is also a one man band in essence in 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 his distribution and he distributes uh, Tsukamoto's films as well. So uh, I guess uh, we're all sort of together in this love of independent <laughs> Japanese cinema. Absolutely, and I think as well. I mean, to the, maybe the sort of more casual film goer, if they see one of his films, especially maybe like the Tetsuo films, they'd think this is the the makings of a madman, you know, um, the very dark, twisted, uh, you know, n- nightmares. And I think more often than not, especially in the horror genre community, you find that these filmmakers are just really lovely, amazing people. And their output just happens to be particularly dark. And I don't know what the correlation is with that, but it does seem to be a, a trend. It's, I think it's a very healthy balance. Um if it's too much of one or too much of the of the other, then it's it's uh, then it becomes scary to me. I think the people who um, who give vent to their to their darker thoughts and their darker impulses uh, through through fiction, for example, or through through well through creative means, tend to be very happy and uh, healthy and quite balanced human beings in daily life. Because yeah. they they lose a lot of the stuff that that continues to that continues to disturb people who don't have that that vent. And conversely, we get some comedy directors like uh, Yosuke Fujita, who did a Fuku Fuku Sono Fuku Chan Fuku Chan of Fuku Fuku Flats, and Fine Totally Fine, or Miki Satoshi, who did these cr- crazy quirky films like Turtles or Surprisingly Fast Swimmers, who tend to be very very, I don't want to say boring, but uh, incredibly <laughs> flat people in in real life uh they make these absurd comedy films and then themselves are not so fun to be around so uh, they're very very serious people um so yes uh, you get that sometimes i guess <laughs> amazing well look so um you've done I, I don't know the exact number but you've done commentaries for 
most of the the Sukumoto films that Third Window Films has put out, um, as well as others, obviously, um, including the Hiroko the Goblin. So I just wanted to talk a bit about that. And I mean, first off, how that they came about, um, maybe how you prepare for these commentaries. I assume you don't just walk into a booth and start talking from the top of your head. Maybe you do. Um, but yeah, maybe talk a bit about I've, that. I've, tr- I've tried, but it never ended up well. Right. Um, no, it's it takes about one commentary takes about a week of preparation. Sure. And um, it's watching. You know, no, in nearly all cases, re- in Fuinskamoto's case, I was rewatching the film. I sometimes get asked to do commentaries for films that I haven't seen yet. So that's also that's in itself is a different kind of pleasure. Uh, but in the case <laughs> of Tsukamoto, um, it's rewatching the film for I don't know how many is time. And always discovering something new. And um, yeah, the wonderful thing about films is that they change with you. Yeah, as you grow, well, it's not necessarily an issue of growing older, but as you develop as a human being, you start to bring different things into the films you watch. And especially notice that when you rewatch the film after, after a while. And uh, so getting to do commentaries of, of the films of, uh, that I'm, that I think I'm fairly familiar with is always a great opportunity to, to rediscover something and find new angles and uh, new things to appreciate that maybe I didn't notice or didn't have the capacity to appreciate before also. And then, uh, yeah, and then it's from there on, it's just a matter of preparation, lots of notes and um, that you can, well, with, uh, you know, with Sukamoto, I can, I can wing it to a large extent. If I just sure. if I just write down two words, then I know that I'm going to be talking about that for uh, for three minutes, for example. <laughs> One um, thing I love but, about your commentaries is that you always say um, they're not scene related, you know, because you'll be halfway through a scene and go, "Oh, I'll put a pin in this story because something here is quite important." Yeah, <laughs> because you have these long stories, you know, because of this this you know storied history you have with with the men. Yeah, but I think that's also the the particularity of doing. Of, of a critic's commentary, so to speak, mm. or in my case, perhaps a, a historian slash critic slash scholar's commentary, which is that I'm not the director. I didn't make the film. So I don't have interesting insights to share about each individual scene, like, oh, well, they shot that here, et cetera, et cetera. In some cases, I know that information and I'll, I'll give it. But for the most part, you know, you're, you're contextualizing if you're if you're doing audio commentaries as a as a critic or scholar, and giving people at least it's my goal that you give people information that will help them to appreciate the film more and enjoy the film more. And yeah, if I was I mean, the if I was the filmmaker, then I, like I said, I could talk about each individual scene and how it was made and who's in it and how they came into the film. But that's not that's not I think the the nature of a of a critic's or scholar's commentary. Well, I think for, for me personally, as I said, this podcast is a, a perspective of the fan and the man, and that's the kind of idea. And coming into this as a fan, I got different things from all of your commentaries. For example, um, one of my favorites of Sukumoto's is A Snake of June. And you know, I didn't think I could love that film anymore. But what you did was bring in some interpretations of some of the elements that I hadn't thought of before. Um, like, for example, Sukumoto's character actually being... Um, like a manifestation of their inner desires and not even a real character, you know, more of a, a kind of like monkey on your back, so, so to speak. And I never thought of that before. And it really kind of made that interesting to me. 
or in the in the case of killing where you kind of um contextualize the period for me where i don't really know anything about that kind of late period and um and yeah that that was really interesting but then with hiroko the goblin um which was a first time watch for me when adam sent me the disc over I watched the film and I'll say I enjoyed it. <laughs> I didn't think it was quite up there with the rest of his work for me personally. And then I listened to your commentary afterwards and I was like, I like this film so much more now that I have all of this <laughs> extra knowledge. And now I genuinely can't wait to go back and watch it again. I thought three times in one week might be a bit too much. So I'm going to leave it a little while. Um, but yeah, so you, you definitely do bring that um, or, or those different elements of joy to these films. And yeah, I, I love that about them. Thank you. Oh, you. Mission accomplished then. Absolutely. Do you uh, enjoy that's great doing to hear. That? Is, um, that, is it something you look forward to? No. <laughs> <laughs> it's much work, yeah. <laughs> no, I've 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 come I've come to enjoy them. Um, you know, in the old days at the old man, um, early two thousands, you know, there was when the, the, the DVD market was really booming. Um, companies like Tartan would have money to send you to a professional sound studio to record your commentary. Obviously, now we live in slightly different times, and um, um, either there is no budget, or <laughs> I'm just speculating here. But some of them may be too cheap <laughs> to uh, to pay to pay for this. Um, so I'm doing all these things, all these at home. And when I I lived in, I was in Holland until. A um, year and a half ago, two years ago, and in my apartment there, I had a, a walk-in closet. So, if I if I went in there and I closed the door, I would be surrounded by clothes that would sort of work as like a studio sound booth. Sure. But you know, moving into my apartment now, into well, my wife's apartment, um, now our apartment. Yeah. Um, you know, I sort of have to figure out, okay, what's the best, what's the best spot to, to record these things? And I end up basically going, gravitating towards the clothes again. <laughs> and, uh, but so, you know, there's a lot of, I've sort of, I've sort of got it down now, but there's a lot of things that just, that I sort of have to improvise in order to yeah, actually sure. start the recording. And, uh, it's always it's always a little bit nerve wracking, but once I start, it's fine. I can so that's kind of the, how I feel about this podcast as well, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, the run up is the run up is the is the the, the, the nerve wracking part, but then once you start, it's a lot of fun. And then Great. you know, people are happy with what I do. I'm not someone who I do do some editing before I before I send these things in. So, but I'm not so I'm not the type that you know listens listens to everything he recorded or, or reads everything he reads when I'm writing of course I have to edit but um, so when the reactions come back and they're positive as they generally are then I'm, I'm really genuinely very very happy every time and one thing actually is that Sukumoto himself listens to every single audio commentary I mean obviously he doesn't have the best uh, understanding of English but he listens to every audio commentary that Tom that Tom does for his titles and he's always incredibly excited for them. So, you know, 
that's what's the highlight always of of the discs that I sent him is oh it's just it's got the Nutomo audio commentary. I mean, you know that's uh you know showing you know how great both of them are. You know Tom for his audio commentaries and also for Tsukamoto for for really listening to, to them. I mean, it's rare to find a director listened to to his somebody's doing uh, work on his on his films, but that's uh, the type of man that uh, Tsukamoto is, and those are the great uh, commentaries that, that, that Tom does. I saw that he tweeted that the other day, excitedly, in English, saying, you know, Tom's done an audio commentary for Hiroko the Goblin, <laughs> which is really cool. I guess that's a good place to transition then, Adam, over to you, because I, I guess we should find out where your relationship with Tsukamoto started and how, you know, maybe the remastering of his back catalogue came about, because all of these films that you've released are all kind of beautiful new prints, right? Yes, I mean, uh, thanks, thanks to the the you know he's a very detailed person and uh, he put a lot of work into the actual process themselves. But the business relationship, uh, I mean, obviously we had a slightly uh, personal relationship from from many years ago. But around, I guess, around ten, twelve years ago or so, um, I had been working with one of his producers, and I said, you know, it's really important that we get the Tsukamoto's films digitized because otherwise, you know they're going to die out. I mean, digitization of Japanese films doesn't really happen so often in Japan, unfortunately. And usually if any of them happen, even the big ones like Battle Royale, it's up to the foreign distributors that have have put in the the money and the effort and the time to remaster. The Japanese side don't really care at all about their back catalog. Even, you know, they can re-release them on on, on video on demand and such in Japan, but they they just have no interest in doing that uh, or putting any money in towards it. So in the case of Tsukamoto, I spoke to him uh, and I said, look, l- let me uh, try to raise some money and we can digitalize your back catalog because it's going to be very important for the future. And I raised the money and uh, yes, we booked the studios and he went in and, and and checked everything. So he put a lot of time in and I, uh, yes, raised as much money as I could. It was, uh, and Tetsuo was released on Blu-ray probably about 10 years ago, I'd imagine. Um, uh, but unfortunately, I think until Arrow released the box set, I think many people in the world didn't realize that uh, his back catalog had been on Blu-ray. And a lot of people I read on the internet nowadays, well, thanks to Arrow for for, for remastering his catalog and putting them out. And I said, yeah, you know, I, I did that uh, 10 years prior, but uh, unfortunately that's how it goes when you're a, a small company with a very limited reach. Yeah, so that Solid Metal Nightmares, right, that was released in the US, is that that one, the box set? Yes, uh, actually, to be frank, I, people think that I'm a part of Arrow and I'm not, uh, they, they just distribute, they, they handle, they're like a middleman between my, between companies like Amazon and, uh, pressing cup branches like Sony and me. And I, I didn't even know that they were going to release it, um, until it was released. And then wow. I thought, well, that's really nice. You know, you're selling my titles on your store on arrowfilms.com and, uh, and now you've put out this box set without letting me know at all. So it was a bit, I was a bit annoyed, to be frank, uh, just because of all the personal time and effort that I put in to, with Tsukamoto to remaster all those titles. And uh, yes, uh, but you know, at least Arrow did obviously increase uh, the, the, because obviously they, they, they released it in the US, but they also handle, are selling my titles to their UK store. So it did give it a wider berth. And obviously they put a lot of his films on their own Arrow player and on Amazon. And that did help uh, sales on my respect. Of course, they take half of my sales anyway. So it helps them a lot more than it helps me. But uh, uh, at least I'm glad that, you know, Tsukamoto's thanks to all these new releases is getting out there a little more. And I was just speaking to some distributors in, in some other countries recently, and they're putting out box sets in, uh, in, in I can't really say, 
for right now, but in some other countries in Europe are, are uh, planning to release some Tsukamoto box sets from now on. Interesting. So if another distributor releases these in another region, will they be able to use Tom's commentaries again? Or is this something that Third Window owns or Tsukamoto owns or anything like that? Tom, Tom owns them in, in essence. Uh, so he did. They, I think Arrow must have must have spoken to you, Tom, and, and, and used your your commentaries, I'd imagine. I mean, they're on there, aren't they? Yes. The whole box is every single film has my commentary on it. Nice. Did you record so, new ones, actually? Uh, nearly all of them are new, I think, except for two. Two are ones that they ported over from the from the old DVD editions. I think Vital and Bullet Ballet were old ones from the from the old DVDs. Yeah, but the rest are all new. Interesting. Well, so I never bothered with the box set. A because it's an import from the US, right? You can't get it in the UK. Um, and B, you'd release them all yourself. Yeah, <laughs> well, it's it's a nice looking box set for sure, and it's uh, got a lot of great liner notes. It probably has uh, it does have more extras and new, obviously, commentaries from Tom and other people. So, you know, if you want to buy both, then then you're you're welcome to. <laughs> but uh, it it is a, a, a fantastic looking set. I mean, I don't know if it's in print anymore, but uh, yeah, it, it's certainly worth it for for fans of uh, Tsukamoto for sure. Sure. Just while we're sticking with you, Adam, I just wanted to ask because I know there's a couple of his films. Um, missing from your catalogue that haven't been either released or remastered. Um, one of them being Vital uh, and the other ones being the Nightmare Detective films. I just wondered if there was a reason for that or... Of course, actually, Vital is actually my favourite film of Tsukamoto and <laughs> it's the only film, uh, well, with the exception of the Nightmare series and a couple others that I haven't released. And that's because there are these issues, especially to do with companies like Tartan Films, companies that own rights for long periods and then go either bankrupt or go in limbo and the rights can't really be reverted back to the owners because in order to revert the rights back to the owners as in uh, the sales agents in japan or, or tsukamoto himself they need to get a sort of confirmation that the company has gone bankrupt but in those sort of situations you need to sort of contact them but they're not there there's no one there so it's very hard to japanese are obviously a bit scared to sort of pass on rights when they're when they in, in essence have a contract with another company so vital was one owned by tartan as many films like 2ldk is another one that tartan have bought these long rights and yet they've gone under so but at the same time i can't get the rights themselves and nightmare detective has to do with the weinstein company and the weinstein company bought english language rights for quite a long period so that's america and uk and obviously the weinstein company are are uh, Gone, gone under now and their rights for their titles have probably maybe somebody bought up their catalog but i don't know which or which and uh i've spoken to the original rights old owners of the films and they just can't get in touch with with who might own the rights so those are things that we need to wait until the license periods end uh is in the from the original contracts and vital is um i think it's next year so hopefully i'll be able to take it from then but then you know obviously it's been released everywhere else since then so it's a uh, it's a bit of a uh, yeah, I'm not so sure. I mean, as much as I want to release it, uh, I'll have to. Everybody already has it in essence. So, and Nightmare <laughs> Detective, I, I don't know. I think it's a few more years we need to wait. Interesting. Because, uh, yeah, I love Vital too. I think it's an incredible film. Um, I, I'd struggle slightly with the Nightmare Detective films. I don't know. They're, they're quite an anomaly for me in this catalogue. I don't know how you guys feel about them. Well, I'm hoping somebody's going to somebody's going to release them on Blu-ray and ask me to to do a commentary because then I can revisit them. 
Um, yeah. The, I, I, I've only seen either of them once, or both of them once, and uh, contrary to popular opinion, I'm, I'm more of a fan of the second one than the first one. I am too, actually. I, I, I'd much rather got on with that one, mainly yeah. because Ryue, I thought, was much, much stronger a character in that and much better performance. Yeah, and it also fits really well into into the general um, the development of Tsukamoto's work, in that you know it's 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 sort of related to to Kotoko and to Vital, in the sense of him going into the human mind. Mm. And the Nightmare Detective too, basically, you know, the monster or the ghost is basically just a disturbed girl. So it's a very human approach to the to the J horror template. True. Oh man, I rewatching Kotoko recently absolutely destroyed me again. <laughs> that's a tough one. I love rewatching his films, but that's one I can't do very often because it really does tear me apart quite a lot. <laughs> I remember actually talking about to Stefan Hall from uh, Rapid Eye Movies. We both saw the film at Filmex when it premiered in Japan. And when I saw it, I was just drenched with sweat afterwards uh, because especially he had turned the volume up very high in, in, the, in the auditorium to give that sort of full impact. And uh, I was just completely shocked. And I immediately went to him afterwards and, and, and said, look, let me take on the rights to this. And I was sitting next to Stefan Hall and he said, I can't, I can't buy this film because I've got kids, and uh, I just, it's, it's, I, I can't get with it. It's too much for me, and uh, maybe I didn't have kids at the time, or I didn't have. So maybe if I were to watch it now, I, I'd feel the same way as, as as he did. But but obviously you have a, a kid, and uh, you're still. I mean, you yeah. around. I know. I I watched it um, just after my daughter had been born, actually, and we're also in lockdown, so I was already struggling a bit with kind of mental health and everything. And yeah, it, oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah but i i say this in every review i've ever done of his films he's one of the if not the most visceral filmmaker we have on this planet um so when he makes a boxing film you feel every punch you know and when he makes uh, uh a claustrophobic nightmare film like haze you know you hold your breath because you can smell that metal and you can feel it crushing your lungs so when he wrote a film about uh, you know mental breakdown and you know suicide and um yeah, the loss of a child, and oh my gosh, you feel it. <laughs> so yeah, it's definitely I have to pick my times with that. Yeah, you you Anybody feel it because can, sorry, I just want to continue. Please, please you, go on. You please. feel it because it's it's very genuine. Because mm. Sukamoto is Sukamoto is such a, um, a driven uh, one one man operation. He only makes films that he really cares about, and most of his films are not are not things that producers bring to him he he creates them from the ground up you know it's, it's his idea and and he he wrote it and he shaped it and literally shaped it i mean he often does the set design and everything and so each of them is very much like you know it's a cliche but it's very much like a, a child of his and uh, right. very closely connects to where he is at as a person at that particular moment in time and so the, the the visceral aspect is is not just uh, um, uh, sort of like a um, you know like I said the boxing film you can feel you can feel the hits you know but it's not just the physical aspect of it and it's not just the the, the, the visual aspect of it it's also because those characters are so really drawn from within himself and his own worlds that everything rings true. And even when he exaggerates stuff and uses like fantasy or sci-fi imagery, um, 
you can you can sense the meaning of it because everything just coalesces so well. Yeah, and so it has it has an it has an emotional and, and psychological impact as well as a as a physical visceral one. And I think Kotoko actually, because it's a sort of double personal film, because actually Ko, he was all very obsessed with with Koko herself, uh, and the film is personal his feelings towards her, but also because she's her very uh, suffers from med- a lot of uh, mental illnesses, and it was a very sort of like almost document, not documentary, but a very very personal. That was to the fact that even her own family star in the film in the last. Oh. Uh, the last scenes and obviously it's it's in Okinawa and she's from Okinawa and so it's a very I mean there were a lot of scenes where I think I remember he was talking about like removing the whole crew and it was just like sort of him and her in a room together with a camera so it's 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 more personal than I think uh, most of his other films uh and 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 her and him together does I mean maybe that could even be my going thinking about Vital but maybe Kotoko is actually could be one of my my, my favorites uh, of his uh, I think just maybe also watching it in the cinema at the time, uh, and and learning so much about the film afterwards, uh, it's yeah, it's phenomenal, and it's a pity because it, I, I mean, nobody released it uh, anywhere in the world. Unfortunately, uh, I was the only one for for many years up until Arrow's box sets that had released it in any form whatsoever out, outside of Japan, obviously. So I was always very disappointed as well. Um, it's very much an underrated film of his, uh, unfortunately. Because it, it got quite a lot of praise at the time, didn't it? It won a bunch of festival awards and things like that as well. So, yeah, it, it was quite revered. Yeah, but then I guess, you know, if it, the, the normal distributors of his films, like Stefan at Rapid Eye Movies, who didn't want to do it for one reason or another. I mean, it was actually quite a, an expensive film to acquire on top of that. So that probably did put some distributors off who maybe thought there was less of a market for it. But personally, it was, uh, yeah, I thought, got to, I mean, I... I lost quite a lot of money on it to be honest um but i'm glad it was released and did get a, a, a an audience over time yeah for sure well look, just before we move on to hiroko the goblin which is the you know the release of the month that we're here to talk about really um i wanted to talk a little bit about him um being an actor as well because as you said tom he's he loves to he's a producer he's a director he's a writer he's an editor um he composes a little bit doesn't he with ishikara sometimes um but he's also a really strong actor. And whenever he's on screen, I always think that's a really, really well-mannered and laid performance. Um, but there are certain films that he didn't direct that he acted in, which I thought was great. I mean, Adam mentioned earlier he was in Scorsese's uh, Silence. But um, he was also in um, Hideaki Anno's uh, Shin Godzilla, which I thought was phenomenal what his little part was in that. Um, he's obviously in uh, Mike's Ichi the Killer. But I think probably my favorite performance of his was in uh, Takashi Shimizu's Marabito, um, which just blew me away in so many ways, mainly because of what a strong film it is from Shimizu, who he can be, I think, very the best with, with, with his output. <laughs> At the best um, of times. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I was really impressed with that. Um, but also from listening to your commentary uh, of Hayes, um, you mentioned how... Hayes almost came off the back of Malabito. I think he just filmed Malabito, or they just, or had just been released, and it came onto Hayes. And as soon as you said that, it clicked because they're very similar in kind of aesthetic and um, and tone. And so, yeah, I just loved all that. So I just wondered, from from your perspective, um, how you feel about his acting, and maybe a little bit about his past with the theatre troupe and, and stuff like that. 
Yeah, yeah, he's always he's always loved acting, and he was acting before he was directing. Essentially, well, it's, it always it always went hand in hand. And even as a mm. as a teenager, when he got hold of a, of an eight millimeter camera, you know, he used to make little home movies with his brother, and you know, his brother would imitate Bruce Lee, and you know, his brother would pretend to be a, a, a giant stomping on Tokyo, and so, and then Tsukamoto himself. In, in I think in high school started doing theater for the first time, and continued doing that well into basically well into adulthood, uh, right up until making the first Tetsuo. And uh, for example, the the the, um, uh, the adventure of Denju Kozo um, is based on a play that he had done before, and many yeah. of the people that appear in the film played those roles on stage. And it was basically like what they call in, in Japan Angura, or underground theater, that he modeled his style on. So it was kind of guerrilla. They would just find a parking lot somewhere and they would have this tent that they, would, that they could build up and use as their theater. And then they would fly everywhere and, and hope that people would show up. And I've seen some old video recordings of some of those performances and, and they have the same energy and spirit and dedication as his films do in in the performances, but also in terms of the set design and everything. Um, this really high it's high energy theater, mm-hmm. and I think there's a, there is a special kick for Tsukamoto in in acting, especially in acting in quite intense roles. Which again is is seemingly a total contrast to the person he is, which is a very calm and kind, um, but is is in a sense uh, you know a way to release a part of himself or to to get a, a kick that probably he he can't get in in, in daily life, and so he's hmm. just continued doing that, and um, you know after after Tetsuo, people just wanted to work with him. People started casting him in films. And he was good in those films as well, even even if you know it was a more dramatic role or a more uh, um, inhibited role. He always found a way to to you know bring something really interesting to it. And uh, so, yeah, I'm glad. I'm not just glad. I'm really literally I'm like overjoyed that he he was in Silence because Dan has really you know put his acting career in, into overdrive. Because he's he hasn't made a film since since Killing, which was just after Silence. But Killing is all, already quite a few years ago, and uh, he hasn't made anything as a director. But he he acted a lot on stage and in films and on uh, television drama, etc. So I'm really glad because someone like him, you know, it's really tough to make a living, to be honest. Mm. You know, being so independent and uh, the acting. The acting gigs have always been sort of like one way for him to pay the bills and you know get some money saved and, and make another movie. And so for that to have gone into overdrive in, in recent years is is really uh, you know it's, it's been wonderful to see. That's really interesting, actually. I didn't think of that. That whilst there will be the artistic side that gets, you know, um massaged when you do these acting jobs but also it's a way of fundraising for for his films i didn't i didn't even think of that 
Yes, it may, it's a way to make a living, really. As he, he said to me when I was researching the book and doing the interviews with him, you know, I'm, I make my money by acting and doing voiceover work. <laughs> yes, I, I forget which commentary specifically it was, but you said that, yeah, his, his, um, his uh, voiceover work was what funded a lot of his projects. Um, and he did that right up until recently, didn't he? But but also actually Tsukamoto is quite uh, I mean obviously he does these acting gigs but he's quite rare because uh, obviously yes in Japan especially independent film directors don't get paid anything and that's why people make so many films but Tsukamoto is quite rare in the fact that he not because he finances and handles every aspect of the film he retains the copyright of his film there's mm. none of this film committee system I um, mean obviously he's done with a few of these uh, studio titles uh, very very few but otherwise he works with films that he maintain keeps the uh, copyright so therefore when the film gets released and makes money it goes back to him uh other than you know most directors in japan could make a film and it could be a box office uh, success like meet like uh for example eiji uchida who i work with quite often he did this film called midnight swan and it made billions in the, in the japanese box office so uh millions and millions and he gets like not one penny so right. uh you know that that's uh it's very smart and it's it's very very rare actually um even independent uh films nowadays in japan don't usually get get made in the way that he makes them and and uh obviously it's the hardest thing to do is to completely finance produce do everything yourself and and distribute as well but uh he's very smart in that respect uh and uh and, and so every time a film of his is successful it's you're happy that the money will go back to him yeah Tom, do you know if he's ever been approached to do a kind of English language or Hollywood film? Because I know even like uh, Shion Sono recently has uh, come across with Nick Cage for The Prisoners of the Ghostland. Mm -hmm. I, I would have imagined that Tsukamoto has been approached before. Well, there was, of course, the long gestating Tetsuo in America project that he was going to do with, with Quentin Tarantino around the time that Tetsuo 2 and Reservoir Dogs were doing the rounds of the, fest the same festivals. Right. And uh, so that was that was that floated around for quite a while, and so that was one thing. And I know that he was uh, asked to be in one of these like Masters of Horror sort of. It was the right. Masters of Horror series that Mike worked on. And yeah, I, imprint, there was right. yes, and I think it was either that series, the second season, or um, a different series along a similar concept that he was asked to to work on but he said like they gave the the hollywood producers gave him a script and it was like postcard cliches of japan and always mount fuji and and, and cherry blossoms in the background and that sort of thing and he had no interest in doing that at all so that's well, one tetsuo thing three is, tetsuo three is obviously english language and uh, a for, foreign funding is involved so that's sort of that's Very sort true. of the one that, uh, yeah. that came true. Yeah, but then, as I said, you know, that's, that started life as this Tetsuo in America idea. So that aspect had always been part of, of the idea creatively and narratively. So it made sense. Whether it worked or not um, is another question. Is it not a matter? But... <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I was going to uh, admit there that I actually that's the one film or one feature of his I haven't actually seen. Um, but I do know from general consensus is that it's not very good. Well, uh, I, I would I would suggest never following general consensus. Very uh, true. One thing. Um, secondly, it had it. It's a film that has many seen within the context of Tsukamoto's work. It is a really interesting film. You know, because it often, came just after Nightmare Detective Two, didn't it? I think. Yeah, it's it's right around the same time. So he was sort of go, exploring different themes and different directions to move in, and uh, it. 
it's also a film very much of its time. So like the Bush era uh, and the idea of what is Japan's role vis-a-vis -vis America in terms of like world, world politics and all that stuff. And if America is going off and, and bombing countries without any legitimacy. Mm. So all those kinds of themes are really in, in, in that in that work and in that movie. So it's very much of its time in, ter in terms of uh, the larger social context, but also in terms of the context of Tsukamoto's work that it, that it you know, that he, where he was at. Right. Um, it's, it's has, it has quite a bit, quite a few weak points for various reasons. One is that if for that one to finish it, he really needed to find outside investors and, um, which which meant that he you know had to be open to to outside input perhaps too many people sort of had a finger in the pie right um but uh yeah no it's not my favorite Sakamoto film but you know speaking as a person who loves Sakamoto's work it's it's a very interesting film that's well, maybe damning right. it with faint praise but <laughs> I am a completionist, so I will seek it out. Is there a, 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 a Tom Mess audio commentary for that film? No, no, there isn't. No. As far as I know, there was only ever a Blu-ray release. Uh, outside Japan, there was only ever a Blu-ray release in the United States, I guess. In Germany, and I this, think, or only Germany. Was one in Germany? Oh. No, I think, yes, I'm pretty I sure think. there's a, there's an American DVD at some point. DVD, so but a, not Blu-ray. Not Blu-ray, no, no, no. Probably, nice. probably well, maybe too, we can record expensive. the commentary via this. <laughs> yeah, maybe I, maybe I should start my Patreon and, and offer it. That's uh, the bullet man. <laughs> Download only commentary. Oh, beautiful. Okay, then. Well, let's go on to Hiroko the Goblin, the um, the film of the month. Uh, like I said, I said to Adam, I'd never seen this film before. I knew it was... Um, in between Tetsuo One and so it's in between the Iron Man and Body Hammer, right? That was the the film he released in between those two. Um, and I was surprised. I mean, I know it was his first studio film, but um, I was surprised just how different it felt. Apart from the the opening scene um, or the opening scenes with the you know in the cave with the shaky cam and the the very kind of uh, Raimi esque um, menace coming at the camera. But yeah, I, I I really enjoyed the film, like I said. And then when I listened to your commentary, Tom, I loved it even more. Um, so yeah, I guess, I, I don't know, maybe start with you, Adam. Um, why has it taken so long for us to get Hiroko the Goblin? Um, what do you feel about the film, you, you know, in relation to the rest of his work? Well, the reason why it's taken so long is it used to be handled by uh, Shojiku, who are one of the big, uh, big uh, sales, big uh, Japanese production companies. Um and very hard to work with, incredibly hard to work with sales agents, they, but because they handle films like from Ozu and all that. I mean, they're, they're one of the big big companies out there. So it's always been an expensive and complicated film to license. And in this case, because it's been so complicated to license and nobody has licensed it because of that, I was speaking to the film's producer and she was talking about taking the rights back or I think uh, maybe their, their contract was renewing every five years. And she said, I was like, look, we can sell this to loads of places that, that wouldn't buy it if it was Shojiku and just let the rights lapse and we can make a new contract with uh, with another company. And uh, that's what we, we did. And, and she remastered it um, with Sakamoto in Japan 
because it was re-released in Japan and Japanese cinemas and on, on Blu-ray and on video on demand in Japan. So the, the, they had handled the mastering process. And then in America, uh, Mondo Macabre uh, bought the rights. And um, yes, I, I bought the rights for UK and I'm sure it'll get picked up by other companies now because it's it's not handled by Shojuku. So that's that's usually the problem why so many Japanese films never get out there is it's it's owned by a big agent that are very hard to work with. I mean, there's so many amazing Japanese films that I've loved to distribute, like The Man Who Stole the Sun or something like that. And uh, it's just so hard working with these, these studios. I mean, it's it's really insane. And they just don't really care at all. And, uh, you know, that that's so that this was one instance of that. Amazing, and and the film itself. How do you feel about it? I mean, is it your fan? I'm I'm a, I love Tsukamoto and all his films. Uh, it's not one of my favorite of his, but I think it's quite fun and and entertaining and and quite charming and, and cute. And and I love uh, uh, Sawada Kenji, uh, who's also from The Man Who Stole the Sun. Uh, he's a uh, used to be an idol, not an idol, like a, a very famous singer. And he's a uh, uh, it's it's yeah, it's 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 got it's fun. Oh, <laughs> cut! Somebody's cut. Someone's cut. Yeah. My cat. Yes. <laughs> Clamoring for it. Hiroko, Hiroko. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I I thought it was incredible to see it from the perspective of all the other influences it clearly had. Uh, like I said, from from Evil Dead Two uh, to Ghostbusters to The Thing to Alien um, and beyond. You know, it's it's mad where it goes, and it keeps to it's constantly changing. It, it's constantly evolving. You know, I I, yeah, I was really impressed with it. Anyway, Tom, so your your commentary is. Um, like I said, really good. It's one of my favorite commentaries for the very fact that it just made me love the film even more. Um, I wonder if you want to talk a bit about that. You know, what, what preparation did you go into it? Because this is the first time it's been in, in proper print in a long time. Yes. Um, also, it was never one of my favorite Skamoto films. Um, I think that, uh, but I think the, the, the story is similar for quite a lot of people now that they are rediscovering it. <laughs> Excuse me. That's now okay. that they're that they're rediscovering it, um, which is that because you know people loved Kamoto because of the Tetsuo style, you mm. know that got him so many fans, and they feel very passionate about uh, about his work. And then that film came along and was so different, you know. People sort of uh, you know, <laughs> and it's you know at, at, on the surface, especially if you watch it for the first time, you know, and you love this crazy independent director called Skamoto, um, then on the surface, it seems very conventional. And so, you know, seen within, uh, you know, within the zeitgeist of when it came out, um, you know, it's, 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 uh, it seems kind of obvious that people would like it a lot less than the Tetsuo films, for example. But mm. again, you know, this is now that this Blu-ray is out and the film has been re-released in different countries. Um, you know, people have the opportunity to to revisit it and rediscover it. And for my, in my case, I think from what I've been seeing uh, from a lot of reactions on Twitter and and people reviewing reviewing the disc, and is that you know they say like, well, I never used to care for this film very much, but now that I got a chance to watch it again, I really really like it, and it's it's really a Tsukamoto film. There you go. Yeah. And so I think the Hiruko sort of foreshadows a little bit where he would go in, you know, much later in terms of like, for example, the entertainment value of the Nightmare Detective films. Um, mm. 
And at the same time, it sort of harkens back to what he was doing before. Something like Adventure of Denchu Kozo, I think is very similar to Hiroko. Yeah. You know, it's, a, it's a young man's, young man's adventure story. And um, so it not, watching it today, it feels like it really ties together a lot of aspects of Tsukamoto's career, which maybe would not have been avid, evident when the film came out and, and in the years immediately after that. So again, you know, it was, it's a, a pleasure and a privilege to get the chance to really rediscover it and, you know, be forced to engage with the film in, in a lot of detail in order to prepare the commentary. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like you said earlier, you know, as we get older and as our, our tastes develop and, you know, our lives change, you know, you, you can revisit films from your past and get a completely different read on them. So I, I wonder what I would have felt if I'd have, have seen this all those years ago because um, obviously experiencing it now um, it spoke to me right away and it, it kind of tapped into this nostalgia thing for me whereas you know all of these genre films from the 80s that I just loved um, this was right there with it and it might have seemed lesser at the time but now it just seems like wonderful like candy <laughs> absolutely I mean yes you watch it now and it seems like oh you know this is this is a bit like watching Stranger Things or something you know one of those or uh, or uh, Ready Player One, you know, one of those very intentionally '80s Redux style movies where they pay homage to to very obviously pay homage to so many things that you remember seeing from the '80s. And yeah, Hiroko did that already in 1990. You know, <laughs> so mm. it's it feels yeah. it feels ahead of its time, strangely. <laughs> yeah, I yeah I I. Well, I if anyone's listening, because I know we're going to try and release this just before, I think it's going to get released. Is it the 24th of January, is it, Adam? Yes, yes, 24th. Perfect. Um, so when you pick up the film, I cannot recommend enough you, um, after you've seen it, rewatching it with the Tom Mez or audio commentary, because it will just make you love it even more. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know, Adam, do you want to talk a bit about the other extras that are on the disc and how you managed to put all those together? Yeah, I mean, luckily, I think also this time working with uh, Mondo Macabro allowed uh, to save costs um, like I did with Funky Forest and the Aero 444 in, in America. I mean, obviously, I'd always worked with um, Tsukamoto to, to make the interviews for his other titles. But usually what I would do is I would just ask him, can you set up a camera in your house and just like, and here's some questions. Can you, can you, can you reply to them? And he, obviously, he always he always did for me. Uh, but in this case, you know, we got it proper, proper interview with a proper cameras and a proper lighting and uh, properly edited. So it's quite a, a well-made, well-made interview. Thanks to the uh, having a little more money, thanks to the American distributor, because, uh, yes, I really uh, sometimes it's a bit too DIY. But then again, I think that sort of DIY element does sort of work well with Tsukamoto. I mean, if you watch the sort of the, the old, the old uh, interviews where the unedited versions, you sort of holding up like a, a piece of paper and then reading the question out to himself and then putting the piece of paper down and then <laughs> speaking the answer to the camera right in front of him. I think it sort of adds to the charm of it. Uh, but yes, uh, it's not the best production values. <laughs> so you, you would have done that quite recently, wouldn't you? All of the, the extras. Yes, relatively recently. Uh, and obviously we, we were able to get some of the original extras uh, from from its original DVD release. Uh, and they're, they're quite interesting because uh, obviously you're looking at Tsukamoto, two interviews on the same disc, and one is from nowadays and one is from uh, 30 years ago. And it's it, it's great looking uh, 
just looking at him actually and and how he's he's changed and the way he speaks uh that's so charming i mean i always love looking at, at, and listening to Tsukamoto. it's it always makes me quite uh cheerful <laughs> yeah i agree i guess what i was kind of leading in there with those is quite recent you both still in touch with the man you know you both spoken to him relatively recently uh Tom, you you alluded to the fact that he hasn't made a film since Killing, which is nearly four years ago now, or over four years, blimey. Um, but he's been acting a lot and building his funds up. So do you know, is there a project in the works? Is he is he making any plans to, to release any new film? Well, he's been very cautious generally lately because of Corona. So he's been mm. uh, he's been very serious about about staying at home. Right, and uh, I know that he's quite tired of staying at home, <laughs> and really, really wants to make another film. Right. So we we may be hearing something, you know, over the course of this year. I would suspect. I mean, actually, he Exciting. did before before Corona. He was uh, already talking about making a new one because I had invited him to England to do um, a retrospective of his films at the ICA, and uh, and he's was thinking about it but then he was like oh i'm thinking of starting uh preparing for a new film at the time and that was obviously before corona and then corona hit and it sort of screwed up everything and yes he has been uh incredibly uh yes uh, scared of, of uh of covid uh and 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 not uh even uh, hasn't met me i was gonna wanted to meet him a few times uh and he's like no i can't i can't meet anybody I'm, i want to stay at home so uh more than more than most other people i think he's uh he's been very very yes uh be very careful about Corona, and, and obviously that's that's harmed his uh, him preparing for a new film. Fair enough. Well, I guess though, given that time, he's maybe refined the script, or probably even written a bunch of new ones, right? From from the experiences and anxieties and whatnot. No doubt, it's it's will inform his work. But you know, if if he were to release uh, Hayes today, everyone would go like, oh, that's about Corona, staying at home, yeah. you know, locked into <laughs> cramped spaces and getting claustrophobic, which oh, again man. shows how, how you know, his films are, are basically so universal. Yeah. I mean, sorry to go back to that. Like, I, I literally rewatched Hayes this morning with your commentary, Tom, <laughs> and you mentioned how it was funded by a festival, basically. It was like the, the festival funds the, and it was his first digital film, shot entirely on digital, um, and the only kind of prescription of the, the festival was that it had to be shown on digital and it had to be 30 minutes or less. And he ended up making it 47 minutes. Is that right? Yes. So he had to cut it down. So there was a festival version first and then the, the, the full version that he himself released later. Because uh, I think at least for the full version, he has all he has all the rights to that, if I'm not mistaken. Right. So yeah, there's, there's this film festival in Korea that, for several years during the early 2000s was inviting every year they were inviting three Asian filmmakers to make a, a short film and then that would be put together and released as a, as an omnibus feature. So Guishi's Mir Mirrored Mind is also uh, part of that project originally from a different year but it's the same project from the same festival. So cool. But anyway, yeah, so anyone if you if you want to get, you know, all of your Sukumoto information, just listen to Tom's commentaries on any of the third window releases that, that Adam's put out over the years. Um, I guess, I mean, we're winding down now, and I know historically on this podcast, we end up 
almost getting to the two-hour mark and, and realizing we've been recording for way too long. And uh, Sukamoto is well known for keeping his films nice and tight in under 90, sometimes even 80 minutes. So we'll try and do the same. But just as we'll, we're, we're coming to a close then, I, I guess Adam said Vital or Kotoko is probably your favorite uh, Sukamoto. I wondered, Tom, if you have a personal favorite maybe um, for a particular reason. I have a clear personal favorite, which is Snake of June. Uh, it's a film that really I loved a lot when I first saw it, um, but I've just come to love it more and more as I've rewatched it. Um, uh, I think it's a film that is has everything that you want from its Kamoto film. Plus, it's his sexiest movie, and at the same time, it's probably his most um, maybe feminist film that he that he made. Um, he did Tokyo Fist before that, which was really a turning point in, in the way he portrayed women in his films. But mm. I think that really reached a, a culmination with, with Snake of June. And um, so that informed everything he did after that, like Vital was very f- kind of female-led, and Kotoko, of course. And those films, I think, wouldn't exist without Snake of June. And it looks gorgeous, too. It's amazing. That blue monochrome is, is such, it's so gorgeous. And, uh, you know, Asuka Kurosawa, the, the lead actress, is just amazing in every way in that movie. And another film that I really love very much, it's not a film that I sort of particularly look forward to, to watching again or that I think about often, but as soon as I watch it, I go back to the, the, uh, my first viewing experience of that film, which is Bullet Ballet, which I first watched at the Rotterdam Film Festival uh, sitting in the front row. <laughs> right really in the center front and like my entire vision was filled by the screen and by that film and it sort of like went straight into my into my brain and every time i watch it even when it's on a very on a small screen or on a on a laptop or something it's, it's it still has the same effect on me i it's going to sound like i'm just agreeing with you for agreement's sake but honestly my two favorite films of his are bullet ballet and the snake of june and in fact i think his run from from going from Tokyo Fist to Bullet Ballet to then Gemini and then A Snake of June, I think that's the strongest run of his career. I just those films are just all so good. But yeah, I, I agree with Snake of June entirely. I even posted the other day about me rewatching it and um one of my followers uh just responded, Do you think he's a misogynist? And I was like, I I absolutely not. I can't can't tell you how opposite I feel. Like this film is is critiquing the male gaze and misogyny uh, all the way through. And if anything, it is a feminist film entirely. And um, yeah, I just love it more and more each time. And again, that's one of his shortest films, isn't it? And in terms of features, obviously he's done short films, but in terms of features, it is, it's under, it's under 80 minutes, I think. Yeah. 77 minutes. uh, But uh, I mean, it's amazing. You know, if you think about all his films, I mean, it's if we we will say we were trying to find a best one or so, but they're all amazing films. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's very hard to find a director out there that he's been going for 35 years uh, that has consistently made great films or all of his films are at least a B or a B plus above. I mean, of course, there are some like, you know, Tetsuo the Bullet Man or or maybe, you know, Nightmare Detective that aren't as good as some of the others, but they're all great films in one way or another. And if you think about other Japanese directors, like maybe Shion Sono or, uh, or I mean, a lot of film directors that I also like personally, 
even even maybe Kurosawa, uh, Kiyoshi, even you know Tom loves every film from Mike, I'd imagine. But uh, they, they, <laughs> no, I think they have a lot. Not, I think they, they, they are directors that, that make a lot of great films, but they make a lot of bad films or, or as well. And, and sure. Tsukamoto has never made a bad film. Uh, and that's very, very hard to find of any, even any directors, whether they're Japanese or not. I mean, I compare it to somebody like Scorsese or somebody like that who consistently makes great films across a large and a, not just and different genres as well. I think that's that's also a, a big point that um he's handled so many different genres and mm. that's hard to do. It's, uh, yeah. So, no, you're right. But he always always has that unique Sukumoto style that you can recognize. But he, he spreads it across all those different genres, which is just amazing. Well, yeah, thank you so much, Tom, for joining us. Honestly, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Um, and I, I genuinely wish we could talk longer, but I know Adam would uh, would kill me afterwards. Um, so we'll leave it there for now but maybe in future if you do any more commentaries for, for a different director uh, we could we could get you back on sure gladly it's been fun um, so for anyone listening in if you want to find Tom he's on Twitter as Midnight Mez um, also he's got both of his books or sorry all three of his books in fact uh, you've got Iron Man the cinema of Shinya Tsukamoto uh, Agitator the cinema of Takashi Miike and uh, Re-Agitator uh, is it a decade of writing about Takashi Miike. Um, where can everyone get those, Tom? Um, well, uh, Reagitator is still freely available, and the best way to get it is from the website of uh, the publisher, Fabpress, uh, fabpress.com. The other two books, you're going to have to find used copies because they're both out of print because <laughs> they were published more than 15 years ago. Right. Were they digitized at all? Or... Why how time flies? No, they were not. <laughs> This, this right. was before that was even an, even <laughs> a consideration. Um, so, um, yeah, you're going to have to get hold of a used copy or find a library that has them. Well, there you go. <laughs> a lot of us are collectors at heart, so I'm sure they're used to the hunt. So it won't be that much of an issue to do that. Um, and Adam, you and I, next month, we've got uh, another legacy release of a very interesting cyberpunk film, haven't we? We've got uh, Ishi Sogo's Crazy Thunder Road. And a film of which Tom has done the commentary for as well. <laughs> wow, I actually didn't know that. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> oh, well, Tom, then, whilst we still have you, do you want to tease a bit about uh, how you feel about Crazy Thunder Road then? Because it's another film that I have not seen before, so I'm looking forward to um, to going into that next month. Well, if Tetsuo the Iron Man was a, was an epoch-making film, then Crazy Thunder Road is that times two, really. Um, it's uh, it's it's basically one of the legendary films in Japanese film history. Uh, it's generally not known this way because it became legendary after the period where everybody was saying Japanese cinema is fantastic. And so this was the time when people were saying, well, Japanese cinema used to be fantastic, so we just stopped writing about it. <laughs> which is uh, the typical pattern of a previous generation of people writing about Japanese film. And so it's never really had its due in terms of uh, critical attention outside Japan. But it's a film that was made independently, entirely independently, um, basically by someone who was still a student, was still in university at the time, uh, made this feature-length biker movie that is absolutely amazing. Um, just astonishing, so visually inventive, and so uh, just so really exciting film. 
um, with hugely powerful um, performances and uh, it's really genuine because it has all these real bikers and real punks and these street gangs that show up in the film and miraculously one of the major studios in Japan Toei discovered the movie and said we'll buy this and release this nationwide and then all these kids that were shooting their little home movies you know like Tsukamoto would do you know shooting these little fiction films on eight millimeter cameras that they borrowed from their fathers suddenly went like hey one of our guys just got a feature film released that is basically what we are doing now Hmm. so you know and it became a success it became a hit you know certainly enough for for all these young people to go and like okay i'm going to be a professional filmmaker starting from today and uh, and it also and it also showed the, the film industry at the time you know what was one possible avenue to 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 uh, to pursue because the film industry was not doing well and uh, so they needed films that could attract an audience and crazy Sunday road showed that uh, you know among these amateur filmmakers there's people with talent who can whose films can attract an audience so it really changed uh, it it was a turning point in japanese cinema history and the fact that it 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 is out now and it's basically never had a home home video release in any format outside japan ever so this is like uh, this is one of the holy grails of japanese cinema basically wow so if you listen to this <laughs> Buy it, <laughs> buy it, or or just shut up and never watch another Japanese film again. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> wow. Adam, if you don't put that on the box art or something, you've missed the trick. <laughs> Amazing. Anything to add, Adam? Or is that that's probably it, right? That's, that's I don't know what else thing. to say. From uh, all that, it's out uh, in February, the end of February. I think it's the twenty first. Uh, and uh, yes. Yeah, so, Tom's audio commentary, as well as I, I recorded a new interview with the director, Sogoishi, and uh, also Jasper Sharp, uh, obviously, who uh, founded Midnight Air with Tom, gives a, uh, uh, a, video, a video essay on um, Jishu Egon, independent Japanese cinema. So it's uh, quite an interesting release, I think, uh, on top of the fact that it's the first film, the first time it's ever been released outside of Japan on video. So, yes, I hope people buy it. So cool. Well, yeah, I was excited before, but now I can't wait. Oh, Tom's already got his. Adam, I guess my mail's just been a bit slow, is it, this time? It's in the post, it's in the post. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks again, Tom. Like I said, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, And yeah, we'd love to have you back sometime. Um, To everyone listening in, if you want to find Adam, he's on Twitter as at Third Window. Um, You can also find him on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube as Third Window Films. Um, and I'm knocking about on Twitter as at BenjiBox. That's BenjiBox spelt with a Y. Um, but yeah, that's it for us this this month on uh, the Third Winter Films podcast. So thank you very much, and we'll, we'll catch you next time. Thank you. Two flights up by the third window from the right. Two flights up by the third window from the right the third window from the right two flights up that's the one with the shape of